Today's podcast is sponsored by Mint Mobile. Wireless plans from Mint Mobile start at just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for only $15 a month. Go to mintmobile.com gold. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Neolite. The makers are some of the most effective and best-valued red light therapy products currently on the market to promote healthy living and longevity. Check out the exclusive discounts for my audience at neolitebed.com. Well, we just wrapped up another month in the market. Today is the last day of February, though we got an extra day this February. This is the 29th leap year, uh, so we only get one of these every four years. Uh, But the markets uh, had a great month, I guess, if you're long. Uh, The market's hitting new highs, although today the only of the major indexes that hit a new high for the year was the Russell 2000, so a little bit of a pullback uh, intra-week. But a strong month for stocks led higher by AI, NVIDIA, and other tech stocks that are tied to uh, the the, uh, AI uh, bubble uh, revolution, uh, however you want to look at it. Also, crypto had a big month. Bitcoin, the new Bitcoin ETFs, Bitcoin back above 60,000. As I'm recording the podcast, I think we're around 61,500. It got as high as, I think, 64,000 earlier in the week. Although what was interesting is that when it hit 64,000, about five minutes later, it was back below 59,000. So it was a five thousand dollar drop in a matter of minutes or maybe even seconds i wasn't sure now the market did bounce back it didn't come all the way back to the highs but it just shows you how quickly the bottom can drop out of this market because if bitcoin can drop five thousand in five minutes it could drop ten thousand or twenty thousand it, it, it probably will uh so uh, i'll talk a little bit about more about that a little bit later in the podcast Probably the, the, the segment of the market that did the worst uh, was the gold stocks. Gold stocks had a horrible month. They had a horrible week. I think in, a, in the week, the last week of the month, approximately, where Bitcoin was up about 40%, gold stocks were down about 11 or 12%, led lower by Newmont. That was down uh, quite a bit more than that. But gold itself didn't go down. It was relatively flat, uh, closed today above uh, 2,040. So gold has basically been unchanged. It's holding uh, above what I believe is support at 2,000. So we're right on the floor with really no place to go but up uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yet the bottom dropped out are the gold stocks. Uh, Several of them, like Newmont, hitting multi-year lows, not just 52-week lows but multi-year lows. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you saw huge inflows into these Bitcoin ETFs, which ultimately drove the price of Bitcoin. I think at this point, you have uh, these ETFs are really the tail that is wagging the Bitcoin dog. I think it's all now about the ETFs. And of course, Bitcoin lives by the ETFs. It's going to die by the ETFs. And probably not going to be a very long life. But as I'm saying, I don't think it's a coincidence that these gold stocks are getting clobbered 
and all this money is going into these Bitcoin ETFs. Because what would be the reason? If gold hasn't gone down at all, I've never seen a, a period of time where the price of gold was this stable at a high price where gold stocks were this weak. So what's the only new variable uh, in this equation that would explain this sudden and unexpected and non-warranted collapse in these mining stocks? Well, I think it's these Bitcoin ETFs. I think what probably happened is that some people who were in gold stocks and were frustrated, and I know there's a lot of people who are in gold stocks who are frustrated, right? Because we've owned them for a long time and they're not nearly where we thought they would be when we bought them, especially with gold above $2,000 an ounce. Now, all of a sudden, there's these Bitcoin ETFs and people think, well, Bitcoin is the new gold. These, these ETFs are going up. I got some dead money in these gold stocks. I bought the gold stocks because I was worried about inflation, a weak dollar, the Fed, all these problems. I'm still worried about these problems. And people are saying that, well, Bitcoin is the new gold and I should buy that. So I think some of this money uh, came out of gold stocks. That was the source of some of the inflows into these new Bitcoin ETFs, which then fed the rally in Bitcoin itself. But if that is the case, if a lot of liquidity came out of these gold stocks, that's a big problem. <laughs> Uh, for Bitcoin going forward, because what it really means is if gold takes off and to me, it looks like, you know, liftoff is, is close. And all of a sudden, the people who got out of these gold stocks want to get back in. Where are they going to get the money? Well, they got to take it out of the Bitcoin ETFs. See, it's not like a lot of people sold their gold and bought Bitcoin because gold didn't go down. What went down were the gold mining stocks. And that makes sense that a lot of people have brokerage accounts. And in those brokerage accounts, they don't own gold. They own gold mining stocks. Maybe they own physical gold uh, you know, outside of their brokerage accounts. But they, they bought gold stocks in their brokerage accounts to have a leverage play on gold. And it hasn't been working out. They saw these Bitcoin ETFs going up. And they said, hey, let me get in on it. Well, if all of a sudden gold takes off, remember, I, I mentioned the downgrade of Newmont Mining uh, or the fact that they had bad earnings. I forget. It got downgraded. Yeah, I think it got downgraded on Monday, Monday or Tuesday. There was a firm, I forget the name. They, they downgraded the stock from a buy to a hold. And a hold is Wall Street for sell, basically. But they watched the price of Newmont drop like 40%, more than that, from its high. A buy rating the whole way down. And then all of a sudden, near the lows, they say, well, sell or hold it. I mean, you know, what kind of advice is that? I mean, I bought more Newmont myself on the day of that downgrade. And then it went lower, and I bought more, and I bought more again. So I, I, I bought a bunch of Newmont personally uh, during the week. I mean, I love to buy downgrades. And I like to buy gold stocks when they're making 52-week lows, right? I'm getting the deal. Uh, and especially when I connected the dots, because I think the real reason for these big drops in Newmont is it's the biggest, most liquid name. That's the source of funds. Because as Newmont was getting killed, 
the Bitcoin ETFs were popping. They were going up 5%, 10% a day. And, and so that's where the money is coming from. And I'm thinking this is a gift horse. This is a great opportunity. The people who are selling their gold stocks to buy these um, Bitcoin ETFs, they're giving me a gift. They're making a huge mistake. And the, the other problem is going to be when these guys who really you know, were in gold stocks and they just lost confidence, the, the, the firm that downgraded, and I, I forget the name, it wasn't a, a big name that you would know, um, but when they downgraded it, they said, you know, we're downgrading Newmont because we don't think there's much upside in the price of gold. I mean, we don't think it's going to go down, but we don't really think it's going to go up. And so we, we don't really have a reason to buy Newmont. They said in the downgrade that if their outlook changes, if the price of gold goes up and it looks like it's going to keep rising, well, then they'll, they'll upgrade the stock back to a buy. Well, the problem is, by the time that's the case, the price will be much higher. And so the people who sold it are going to be buying it back at a much, much higher price uh, than they got out. But the problem is going to be, if you sold your gold stocks, and you bought any one of these Bitcoin ETFs, and then we get a big move in the price of gold, maybe it jumps 50 or $100, gold stocks jump 10 or 20%, and all of a sudden, people want in on these stocks. Aha, see, gold is now moving. I want to buy these gold stocks. Let me just take some money out of my Bitcoin ETFs. It's not going to work that way. It's going to be like a, you know, like a roach motel. The money checks in, it doesn't check out. It goes to money heaven because it's one thing to put money into a big Bitcoin ETF. It's going to be a whole nother thing to get it back out because when you're putting money in, the ETFs go into the market and buy Bitcoin. And there's plenty of sellers. There's plenty of whales who've got a lot of Bitcoin to unload uh, and they're happy to, 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 to fill this volume. But what happens when all of a sudden these Bitcoin ETFs get inundated with sell orders? And now they got to take the Bitcoin immediately to the market and dump it. Who's going to buy it? I don't know. You know, what's typically happened when Bitcoin comes under a lot of pressure is all of a sudden somebody comes to the market with a bunch of tether, right? The tether supply jumps. They just counterfeit them out of thin air, right? They just make up tether. And then they buy Bitcoin <clears throat> with tether. And they stop, <coughs> excuse me, they, uh, <coughs> they stop. Uh, they stop the market from falling. You know, speaking about Bitcoin, why well, I'm <coughs> losing my voice a bit. I just did a three-hour podcast with Tom Bailu. I didn't even realize I was going to be talking for three hours. I was mainly debating Bitcoin with Raul Paul, and so <coughs> I guess I'm a little tired. I'm losing my voice. <coughs> Now they taped that podcast. I'm not sure when it's going to air. But <clears throat> I just had a short break <clears throat> and I, um, I had some dinner. But in any event, <clears throat> they, count, they make up Tether to buy Bitcoin. Okay, but they can't do that this time. Because when these ETFs get sell orders from the people who bought them, and now they got to go into the market and sell Bitcoin. You see, like Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, before it was an ETF, 
if somebody wanted to sell Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, the trust didn't actually sell any Bitcoin. The, the price just went down. The discount got bigger. But it, it, Grayscale didn't go into the market with any actual Bitcoin to sell. But this time, if a bunch of people want to sell the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust or ETF now and any of the other ETFs, when the ETFs get the sell orders, they got to go into the market and sell the Bitcoin they just bought. And, you know, there's an expression, you know, that the markets take the, the stairs up and the elevator down, right? It means that when stocks go down, they go down a lot faster than when they go up. Well, Bitcoin takes the elevator up, and then when it gets to the top, it just jumps. It goes down that much faster, like that, that 5,000 plunge in a few minutes that happened a couple of days ago that I mentioned. So when the holders of the Bitcoin or the ETFs, when they sell, the ETFs now have to go to the market and sell Bitcoin, you know, right away at the market. What if there's no bidders and there's no tether because they can't accept payment in tether. They need dollars because if you sold your ETF, you expect to get dollars into your account, not tether. So it's not going to work this time. This is a whole different sell-off. And I think a lot of these traders too, they're probably buying these ETFs and they put stops in the market, like limits below the market that, hey, if the price goes to a certain level, then get me out, right? A stop loss. Well, what's going to happen when they start hitting these stops in these ETFs? And now these ETFs in mass have to dump Bitcoin onto a market with no buyers, right? So this thing could implode. In fact, I, I see more signs of trouble brewing in the market. I'm going to I'm going to talk about that. I got a commercial break where I can rest my voice and drink some more water, and I'm going to talk more about that as well as all the economic data. A lot of it that came out this week, all of it bad, right? If you understand it, weaker economy, stronger inflation. That's bad news. So, stick around. I'll be right back. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just $15 a month. Just like everything else these days, those wireless bills keep increasing. But Mint Mobile can help you save. For example, when it came time to get my young son pressed in his own phone, Mint Mobile fit the bill. For everyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Choose from 3, 6, or 12-month plans and say goodbye to a monthly phone bill. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free go to mintmobile.com gold that's mintmobile.com gold cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com gold additional taxes fees and restrictions apply see mint mobile for details all right so i'm talking about uh the potential uh um pin that might prick this bitcoin bubble but i've seen a lot of uh uh, frothiness, obviously, a 40% rise uh, in, in a week. A lot of it got started, I believe, um, with the sell-off, the buy the rumor, sell the fact. We had about a 20% drop in all these ETFs following the IPOs. Then we had that ETF conference down in Miami. 
uh, and they really hyped it up. Uh, and then we just got this big rally. I mean, whether it's the anticipation of the halving, which I think is really a non-event, but they use it uh, for for pumping. Uh, but look what happened. You know, um, the uh, president of El Salvador, you know, is boasting now. He made fun about of me, but he's now boasting about all the money that El Salvador is making in Bitcoin. When he hasn't really made any money because he hasn't sold any of his Bitcoin. So on paper, temporarily, now he's got a gain. We'll see how long that gain holds up. Michael Saylor's out there bragging. In fact, he just bought more Bitcoin. It's not that he sells. He doesn't sell into these rallies. He just buys more. And of course, you know, they've got debt. I don't know. Maybe he borrowed even more money to buy, uh, to buy more Bitcoin. Uh, but these, to me, are contrarian indicators. There's a lot of arrogance now out there in the community that this is the moonshot, 100,000, 200,000. We're going to keep on rising. People are talking about how it's the best performing asset. And they forget that, yes, it's just moved up from 20,000 to 60,000. But they forget that it, it went down from above 60,000 down to 20,000 before it came back up. And the round trip took about three years. And... While people are excited that we're back up here, how do they know we're going to stay here? Look at what just happened in the last two days. The, the Bitcoin miners are down. There's an index, an ETF of Bitcoin miners. It's now down 22% since the high two days ago. It's almost wiped out all the gains of the past couple of weeks. Why, why are these stocks so weak? I mean, what's, what's the reason? I mean, obviously, uh, it's a little crack in the armor. Because the money that is funneling in is drying up. Gold stocks might have bottomed. We had a nice rally in gold stocks today. Newmont was up almost 5%. Uh, yesterday, it had a nice reversal. At one point, it was down 2%. It made a new 52-week low and then closed slightly positive. And then today, it was very strong, even at the end of the day, when a lot of the stocks gave up some of their gains. Gold was still up about 10 bucks on the day. Uh, it closed, you know, Today, the high, high, high for the week, although it was higher intraday. We got up to about uh, 2,050 uh, intraday and got a little bit of resistance there. But if we've seen the lows in these gold stocks, well, then there's no more flows. or not A lot of the flows that were going into Bitcoin ETFs are going to stop. Because if, you, if you're not pulling your money out of uh, gold stocks, then you can't put it into uh, crypto ETFs. And, of course... When the crypto ETFs stop going up, that's another reason not to buy them. And then if they start going down, that's a big reason to sell them. But again, getting money out is going to be a lot more difficult than getting money in. Because just because you put the money in doesn't mean it's going to come out. So if people want to buy the gold stocks back, they're going to have to come up with new money. Because the money they took out of the gold stocks could be lost in uh, these uh, Bitcoin ETFs. So I think this was a great uh, time to buy these stocks. If that was really the catalyst, if people were selling gold stocks to raise money to buy Bitcoin ETFs, that's a great reason to buy those stocks. I mean, you want to fade that trade. What's the odds that these people are making a smart move? <laughs> selling these stocks at 52-week lows to buy a mania in you know, a digital nothing. Uh, so that's clearly a bad trade, and you want to fade it. You want to take the opposite of that trade. Anyway, I want to... Um, talk about some of the economic data that that came out during the week that supports my underlying thesis of stagflation, uh, that the economy is 
weaker than everybody claims, and that inflation is stronger, and that what we're likely to see going forward is the economy being weaker than the Fed expects, while inflation is much stronger. And then the question is, when are the markets going to react to the reality that is diametrically opposed to what they're prepared for, what is being discounted into the market? So let me start off by looking at the um, new home sales numbers that came out earlier in the week. Big disappointment. They were looking for uh, 685000 the prior month was 664. That was revised down to 651. And the current number was 661. Uh, no, the prior was revised down to 651. Excuse me. And this month was 661 versus a 685, 685,000 expectations. So way below estimates. And again, the housing market is already slowing down based on the backup we've seen in mortgage rates. And this is just the beginning. Rates have bottomed out, treasury yields have bottomed out, and they're now moving higher. And so real estate is gonna become even more unaffordable uh, in the, the future than it, than it has been in, in the recent past. And this is a negative for the economy. And it, again, it also opens up a bigger window for landlords to jack up their rent as if they weren't already doing that because the more expensive it is for a renter to become a homeowner the easier it is for the landlord to raise the rent because you you have no choice you can't say well i'm just going to buy something if you raise my rent well good luck you can't afford it because not only are the mortgage rates up the prices are up see normally in a normal market when mortgage rates are going up real estate prices are coming down so it could be a wash. Yes, you have to borrow at a higher rate, but you don't have to borrow as much money because the house price went down. But because of everybody being locked in to a 30-year fixed rate mortgage in the threes, nobody's selling. There's no inventory on the market. And they can't really build a lot of new homes because how long it takes and how much it costs. So you have a shortage of homes. And so the prices are still up, even though the interest rates are up. It's an unprecedented situation that makes housing extremely unaffordable and means that more people are stuck renting no matter how high the rent goes. And of course, the, the landlords, they have a reason to raise the rents because they might have a loan on the property. And they've got an adjustable rate loan or a loan that has a balloon payment that's resetting. Their rates have gone up. Their property taxes have gone up. Their insurance has gone way up. Their maintenance costs have gone way up. Where are they going to recoup all this? From their tenants. That's the only place they can get it. So more upward pressure on rents. That's what this means. Fewer people can buy. More people are going to rent. And rents are moving higher. So it's a weakened economy with inflation. Then, Dallas Fed Manufacturing, February number, minus 11.3. I'm not sure what the consensus was. I don't know if it beat it or not, but it was another negative number. The prior month was negative 27.4. But all of these negative numbers 
are consistent with an economy that's in recession, not an economy that's strong and growing like the Biden administration wants to claim or like uh, Jerome Powell and his you know, cronies over at the Fed claim. Uh, these are weak economic numbers. And again, the reason they're inflationary is because they reflect a reduction of supply. If we're producing less stuff, then there's less stuff to buy which means the price of stuff goes up. Right? Pretty basic economics with supply and demand. Durable goods orders for January, first month of the year. They were looking for a decline, 4.5%, uh, and they got a decline, except it was 6.1%. It was even bigger. It was the biggest drop since they shut the economy down uh, during COVID. So how can the economy be so strong if it's about as weak as it was when it was shut down due to COVID? Again, durable goods, orders collapsing. Why? Because people can't afford to buy them because they're spending too much money on food, <laughs> you know, on energy. You know, there was this guy, the CEO, I think, from uh, Kellogg's was on television talking about their good earnings. And he said one of the reasons that we're earning more money now is that more people are having cereal for breakfast. I mean, having cereal for dinner. <laughs> and so people eating cereal for dinner, that's good for Kellogg's. Well, why are people eating cereal for dinner? Because that's all they can afford is a bowl of cereal. They'd like to have a nice steak, you know, maybe, you know, uh, some pork chops or, you know, chicken or some fresh fish, but no, they can't afford that. So they have Cheerios with some milk and that's their dinner. So this is good for Kellogg's because they sell more Cheerios. Although I did read another story where the government was trying to say that people should just skip breakfast, which is probably good advice. I mean, I, I, well, I have breakfast, but I have it late, like 11 o'clock, you know, because I do the intermittent fasting. But it's, it's not a bad idea to skip it altogether and just go straight to lunch. I mean, health-wise, we eat a lot more than we need to. But the Biden administration is saying, hey, people should skip breakfast because, you know, because they can't afford it, right? that the breakfast food is too expensive uh, and people would rather have, you know, eggs and bacon or sausage or, you know, uh, you know, some other type of more substantial breakfast, but that's too expensive. So they have the cereal, cereal and milk. But now some people, they're not only skipping breakfast because they can't afford it, but they're just having their breakfast instead of having dinner because they can't afford that. So you have two meals a day, you have lunch, in the middle of the day, and then you have breakfast at the end of the day. So you're really skipping dinner, which is the most expensive meal. So you're skipping dinner, and you're just moving your breakfast from the morning to, to night, right? This is, this is Bidenomics. You know, it made me think back to the Jimmy Carter days. Most of you probably don't remember. But what his advice to people was during the 1970s, because heating oil got really expensive, right, because of inflation, his advice was, well, just wear sweaters right? Just walk around your house in a sweater, right? Because you can't afford the heat. So just stay warm by wearing sweaters. This is the same thing. It's like, accept a lower standard of living. You don't have enough money to eat. You can't afford food. So just have fewer meals and eat cereal uh, for dinner in, in, instead of having a steak. But anyway, so the durable goods orders were weak. Ex transportation, they were looking for up 0.2. We got minus Point three and core capital goods, uh, well, that still came out up 0.1, which was as expected. But the rest of the report 
uh, was very weak. Also what was weak, consumer confidence took a big dump in February. And in fact, they revised January down. So the initial number for January was 114.8. They revised that down to 110.9. And the February number, which was estimated at 115, that came out at 106.7. So we're seeing a big drop in consumer confidence. And I think that drop is going to continue between now and the election, which means that Biden's slim chance of winning re-election is, is even slimmer. You know, again, if you look at the, the betting, you know, go to predict it. Donald Trump is a better bet to win than, than Biden. You, he, so the markets say that Trump has a better chance of becoming the next president than Biden. But the betting markets also say that it's more likely that a Democrat wins the White House than a Republican. So what are the markets betting? The markets are actually betting that Biden doesn't run and that somebody else takes his place because the only way Trump is going to lose is if he's not running against Biden. And Biden's odds of winning are going to continue to diminish as consumer confidence falls because that's voter confidence. And his popularity is already at a record low. And what these numbers tell you is that it's about to hit a new low and go uh, even lower. Uh, but this also confirms, you know, what I'm saying and, and what the voters are saying. The economy is lousy. The reason that Biden is not getting credit is because he's getting the blame. Because when things are bad, you get blame. And that's exactly what's happening. Whether it's Biden's fault or not, the voters know the economy is lousy. They can't afford to, to eat and they're working two or three jobs. And they're blaming Biden, and they're hoping that maybe things will be different uh, under Trump. Anyway, we got another commercial break. Uh, we'll be right back, and I'm going to continue uh, going over uh, this data. So stick around. Now that I'm 60 years old, health and longevity are one of my primary concerns. I've done a lot of research into the subject, and I've even created my own wellness and longevity center in my own house. Part of my daily routine includes red light therapy which improves health and promotes longevity by regulating stem cell activity, reducing inflammation, and boosting immune system functions. Red light therapy has also been shown to improve skin health by reducing the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles and improving skin texture. Light therapy, in particular, red and infrared, have been shown to reduce joint pain and inflammation, improve your range of motion, and speed up muscle recovery. Red light therapy is believed to help alleviate symptoms of depression and anxiety by increasing your levels of serotonin, a neurotransmitter responsible for regulating mood. Red light therapy minimizes oxidative stress by rebalancing the levels of free radicals and antioxidants in your body. It also boosts the generation of ATP, the cellular energy source within the mitochondria. This enhances your energy metabolism, leading to improved cellular repair, tissue regeneration, and increased vitality. And finally, red light therapy has even been shown to 
promote hair growth. Now, there are a lot of products on the market. Some are offered at lower prices and may seem like relative bargains, but they don't deliver the type of radiance and frequencies that are required to be effective. While other products do have the required quality, they are vastly overpriced. When doing my research, I found that Neoscience produced the highest quality beds at the most reasonable price. I own the Neolite bed. It's their top-of-the-line product, but they also have less expensive options if cost is an issue. Plus, I've negotiated some generous discounts on all their products exclusively for my audience. Just go to neolitebed.com and sign up to lock in one of these exclusive offers today. That's neolitebed.com. All right. I am going over some of the economic data that came out during the week. We got more economic data coming out tomorrow as well. Um, let me see. I think I already did. Dude, I don't know if I, I forget if I did the Dallas Fed. Yeah, I'm getting tired. Uh, but it was down 11.3. Yeah, I did that one. I did the Dallas Fed already. Uh, Richmond Fed manufacturing. I didn't do that one. That was another negative. All the manufacturing numbers every month, they're negative. I mean, they're never positive. Right? Every, Biden wants to talk about, hey, this manufacturing renaissance, right? It's the dark ages. You know, we're down five. Uh, yeah, it's not as big as the prior month, which was a minus 15, but it's still a negative sign, right? You can't claim you got a strong economy when these numbers keep coming out negative. Again, less manufacturing, less supply, higher price. We got the GDP numbers. This number came out on Wednesday. This is the Q4 preliminary number and very close to consensus. They were looking for 3.3, and we got 3.2. But what was a problem, and the gold market got hit a bit this day, the gold stocks, you know, too, but more so because probably, uh, you know, raising money for, for the Bitcoin ETFs. But the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, which is what the Fed pays a lot of attention to for inflation, that was supposed to come in at 2.8 which would have matched the prior quarter's 2.8. Instead, it went up. It came in at 3%. We're supposed to be on a glide path down to 2. Well, obviously, we're not gliding down to 2. If we went up, we gained altitude, and we moved to 3. And in fact, we're going above 3, maybe the, the, next, uh, the next quarter, or maybe they'll revise this one. So this shows that inflation is headed back up. And this should be a much bigger problem for the markets than it was. But the fact that we didn't really get a big sell-off in gold, gold is starting to hold up better now with hotter-than-expected inflation. Now, eventually, gold's going to go up and up big with worse-than-expected inflation. When the markets figure out that worse-than-expected inflation isn't bad for gold because it means the Fed is going to fight harder to beat inflation. It's good for gold because it means the Fed has already lost and is giving up the fight. Inflation won, and it's going to move higher and higher and higher. The trade deficit also came out the same day as we got the, um, the uh, GDP numbers. And worse than expected, a larger trade deficit. The prior month was initially reported at $88.5 billion. And this is the goods. This is the deficit just in goods, manufactured goods. Right? This is the big, the big number. 
used to call it merchandise trade. Now it's just goods. Um, and they revised that slightly lower to $87.5 billion. But the January number was supposed to be $88.1 billion, and it came down at $90.2 billion. Uh, so more red ink. And again, this is a weakened economy because we had to rely more on imports. We didn't produce the stuff ourselves. Why? Because you see all these negative manufacturing numbers. So we're having to import what we don't produce. That means bigger trade deficits. That means more downward pressure ultimately on the dollar, which is more upward pressure on prices. Right? Bigger trade deficits ultimately lead to a weaker dollar, which leads to higher prices. So again, more uh, data that shows a weak economy and strengthening inflation. We got the big number today, uh, personal income and, and spending. And the headline number that everybody focused on, and they looked at it as good news, was that personal income shot up by 1%. That was a big jump. They were expecting a 0.4% gain, which was a little bit better than 0.3 the prior, prior month. Now, normally, hey, that's good news, right? People are earning more money. But they didn't really earn more money. They received more money from government transfers. The big source of that 1% gain was government transfer payments, mainly Social Security. There was a big increase in some Social Security colas uh, for, I guess they kicked in in January. So some people on Social Security got a bigger check. That's where the income came from. Now, the problem is going to be when they go to spend it. I guess they didn't spend it in January. Maybe they'll spend it in February because personal spending only went up 0.2. So that means the savings rate moved up a little bit. But I, I don't think that people on Social Security are going to save that money for long. They're going to spend it. Right? It's just taking them a little longer uh, to get to the store. So this is not good news. This came into existence. This new spending power came into the existence not through effort and work, which would be productive and help to increase the supply of goods. It's just people collecting money that the government created out of thin air. So it's inflation. So the increase in personal incomes is a reflection of the increase in inflation because inflation is the source of the income. So this is not good news. Now, I think what the markets did like is that the, the inflation numbers that are in here, the PCE numbers, came out in line. They weren't worse than expected. Now, they weren't better than expected, but they weren't worse. They were looking for an increase in the PCE for the month of 0.3, and they got 0.3. Uh, year over year, they were looking for up 2.4, and they got up 2.4. And on the core, they were looking for up 0.4, and they got up 0.4. And year over year core, they were looking for up 2.8, and they got up 2.8. So the market celebrated. In fact, gold was down a few dollars. As soon as this number came out, it spiked up about $12, $12 $13 right away. So it was like, ah, relief that inflation wasn't worse than we thought. Again, this is the wrong reaction. <laughs> to the extent that inflation wasn't as bad as people thought, that's actually bad for gold. It's the other way around. But again, the markets are still not trading on that reality. They're just trading the way these algorithms have been programmed to react to
to data points. So they saw that the inflation number was in line. It wasn't hotter. And then there was a, a rally. And of course, the gold stocks you know, rallied strong because the number comes out an hour before the market. So gold reacts because gold's trading. Uh, and then the stock market opens an hour later. And we had a big uh, move up in, in, in gold stocks. But also, when you look beneath the surface of these PCE numbers, there's a lot of negatives in there. Because service prices, core, especially core service prices, really are spiking up. So you still had some downward pressure coming from goods. But beneath the surface, if you're looking at services, uh, you're seeing a lot of pressures building. And services you know, are a big part of what people consume. And the, it doesn't look good. Chicago PMI came out today. Consensus was 47.3. It came out at 44. That is a horrible number. And, you know, the prices paid numbers in there went up. It's like the, 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 the PMI is weaker than expected. The only part of the, the survey that was stronger than expected was the prices paid. It's stagflation. 44 is a very low number. And it's even lower than the low 46 that they had in January. In fact, the consensus range for the estimate for the February number was 46.6 to 49. So 44 is several points below the lowest number that anybody expected. That's how weak the economy is. And then we got pending home sales again. Rising rates are knocking uh, the wind out of whatever sales they had in the, in the home market. They were looking for a, a gain of 0.8. And that would have followed the big 8.3% gain in December. Well, first thing they did was they revised that gain down from up 8.3 to up 5.7. And now the January number, instead of going up 0.8, it plunged 4.9%. That is a huge drop. Again, almost double the worst that anybody expected. The range was from up 4.6 to down 2.5, right? Down almost 5%, right? Pretty much double what they expected. And the index went from 78.1 in, in December of last year to 74.3. So a lot of trouble in the housing market. That means more trouble for banks. You know, speaking about banks, uh, New York Community Bank is down another 22% in after hours trading. This is the new low. The stock is trading at $3.75. Uh, the 52-week high is $14.22. More bad news. The bank's are in a world of trouble. And March starts tomorrow. March is when the bailout facility that was started a year ago in March of um, 2023 expires. The banks are supposed to pay back these loans. With what money? They don't have the money. They, they, they gave it to their depositors who took it. All they have is this you know, collateral that they're going to get back that's worth a fraction of what they owe. 
So something's got to happen here uh, in March. And, you know, the month could get off to a big start uh, with uh, New York Community Bank. And we'll see what happens uh, with, with some other banks. You know, this stock market rally right, is, is being led by the fewest number of stocks that really have led any rally. You know, they say that, you know, you got the generals and then you got the rest of the troops. And when the troops don't follow the generals, it's, it's, it doesn't end well. Well, here you just got a handful of generals, right? Mainly stocks related to AI, like NVIDIA or like Meta or like uh, Microsoft or, or these names. Um, but the breath of the market stinks. And what I found was particularly interesting or almost laughable. <laughs> I was watching on CNBC and they're talking about this very topic, about how few stocks are, are going up and how almost all the gains are concentrated in this small group of stocks. And the, the, the commentator said, well, you know, you don't really have to worry about it because it's happened before, right? It's not like this is unprecedented. We've seen this before. And they went over the, 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 um, the, the 1960s with the nifty 50 stocks, you know, Xerox and Polaroid and, and stuff like that. And they said, well, it happened back then. And then they talked about the 1990 tech bubble, dot-com bubble, and said, well, it happened in the 1990s and it happened in the 1960s. So we don't have to worry about it. It's happening again. Yeah. They, they conveniently overlooked what happened next. They forgot about the 1970s <laughs> where stocks got killed. Right, the Nifty 50 blew up. wasn't so nifty. The Dow was at a thousand in 1966, and it was still at a thousand in 1982. <laughs> That's a long time to wait while inflation eviscerated the value of your money. Same thing with the, the the tech bubble of the 1990s. That didn't end well. The market crashed. The Nasdaq was down 80 percent uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, so, the two periods of time that they said were similar to the one that we have right now ended in disaster for equities. At the same time, they're saying, we don't have to worry about it because it happened before. We do have to worry about it because it did happen before and look what followed. But the thing is, the economy is in so much worse shape now than it was in 1970 or, or 2000. We have a much bigger debt bubble. In fact, I looked at the uh, national debt clock uh, today. It's now above 34 point four trillion, so headed for 35 trillion. We're now adding about 200 billion a month because it's been two months and we've increased the national debt by uh, 400 billion. So it's a little bit slower pace than we were at. We were at a faster pace. We were, we were clocking in at like four trillion a year. So that's slowed down. If you annualize the last two months, that's 2.6 trillion uh, in debt for the year, which is still a lot bigger than the official uh, deficit estimates, which are a little under $2 trillion. But the real number is not what they estimate, but what's actually happening. Again, you just have to look at the national debt. However much it goes up, that's the budget deficit, no matter what they claim. So if they claim we have a $2 trillion budget deficit, but the national debt goes up by $3 trillion, they borrowed $3 trillion. That's the actual deficit. Not what they're pretending it is, but they, you know, for political reasons, they don't count a lot of stuff. You know, it's like sometimes corporations report their earnings 
and there's this extraordinary items and they, well, we exclude this, we exclude that. And so these are our earnings that we're reporting, but they're not the actual earnings. Well, the government does the same thing with the budget. They have a bunch of items that they say, well, these are extraordinary. They're just, you know, we're not going to count this. We're not going to count that. And so we're just going to count the things that we want to count. And we're going to ignore all the things that we don't want to count. Well, you can't ignore it. If you spent it, you spent it. The national debt goes up. It doesn't care if you meant to spend that money or not, or whether or not it was an out-of-the-ordinary event. We still have to pay the money back. But the other disingenuous part of the process is every year we have the same events that they say are extraordinary and they're not recurring, except they happen every year. Right? So if we're spending money on the same stuff year after year after year, you can't keep saying to ignore it because you know it's, it's an extraordinary expense. It's not if it's recurring. right? Now, maybe it's not the identical expense like natural disasters. Every time they have relief for a natural disaster, they don't count that. So if there's a hurricane, if there's wildfires, if there's an earthquake, whatever, a flood, and they spend the money, they say, well, that's off budget because, you know, it was for a flood. Yeah, except every year there's a different flood or there's a different fire. So you can't just ignore the fact that every single year the government is spending all this money on disaster relief and claim it's not part of the budget. It is. I mean, you got to admit it. There's gonna, this stuff's going to happen every year. But so the government does this, so the whole thing is a lie. But, but I think that we're going to start to pick up the pace of these deficits because a lot more debt is coming due this year. And as that low-yielding debt matures, we're talking where the government borrowed at 10 basis points, 25 basis points, 1%. All that stuff, all those one-year, three-year, five-year notes that are coming due this year and now have to be rolled over at 400 basis points, 425 basis points, 500 basis points, right? That's going to add considerably to the national debt. So these numbers are going to rise faster. The economy is going to weaken. Uh, Unemployment, uh, I think, has turned. We're starting to see that in the numbers. So we're going to get more people collecting unemployment. We're going to have fewer people uh, paying taxes, you know, more uh, minimum wage hikes are going into effect this year. I was reading more about California. You know, they've got a $20 minimum wage now for fast food uh, workers. So a lot of fast food workers in California are going to lose their jobs. A lot of fast food restaurants are going to go out of business. You know, I read that they actually made an exemption in the law that said if you're a fast food restaurant but you bake your own bread, that you're exempt. Now, why did they do that? Well, apparently, Panera Bread, the, got the, the company, was a major contributor, big donor to the governor of California, who a lot of people think are, is going to be uh, the, the presidential nominee. Right? Um, a lot of money was given to Gavin Newsom's campaign from Panera Bread, and so he's stuck in an exemption that says everybody has to pay the, the minimum wage, $20 minimum wage, unless you happen to bake bread, which is like, oh, Panera Bread bakes the bread. Now, the first thing I thought of when I saw this is, all right, well, why doesn't McDonald's just start baking their buns? I mean, it's got to be cheaper 
been paying everybody $20 an hour. And I tweeted that out and somebody replied to my tweet and said, but in the law, it says it only applies to companies that were baking bread in 2023. So you can't just start baking bread. You had to have already been baking your bread. So clear, clearly that means it's not about bakeries. <laughs> it's about Panera Bread. It's about rewarding somebody who made a big contribution to your campaign. Look, if a $20 minimum wage is good, right? If workers are, if companies are exploiting their workers and they need to pay them $20 an hour, why should baking bread mean that you can get away with the exploitation? Why are the people who have jobs at Panera Bread any less deserving than the people who are working at uh, Burger King or McDonald's? It shows that Gavin Newsom doesn't really give a damn about anybody. He doesn't care. He doesn't believe any of this stuff. He is just kowtowing to the political pressure to raise the minimum wage so he can look like he's the champion of the little guy. Meanwhile, one of the companies gives them some larger donation. Okay, it doesn't have to apply to you, right? Right, so it's all politics. Yeah, this is the guy who they think is going to pinch hit uh, for uh, uh, for Biden and 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 and, uh, and beat Donald Trump. But more states have minimum wages that that kick in, and at a time where AI and robotics, I mean, it, you couldn't have picked a worse time. It reminds me of you know the the airplane movies. I I couldn't have picked a, a worse time to, to to quit using drugs or whatever he was smoking or 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 or. or uh, uh, snorting or whatever. Uh, but with what's going on with AI, if ever there was a time not to raise the minimum wage, this is it, right? Because you've got all of this opportunity now or pressure to automate, to replace humans with machines and, and, and computer programs. And so the last thing that you would want to do is, is, is tilt the scale further in in favor of automation. And that's what you do. Every time you raise the minimum wage, you make it cheaper to automate. You increase the return on the investment of automation. And so a lot of people are gonna be losing their jobs and they're not gonna be paying taxes. You know, when you automate, the robot doesn't pay social security tax, doesn't pay Medicare tax. So you're losing these taxpayers. And now they become tax takers because now they start getting government benefits. You get bigger deficits. And now you have more inflation uh, that has to be created to, to fund them. So we've got weak economic data, strong inflation data. We got a bubble in the stock market. We got a bubble in, in crypto. We got a great opportunity to fade that trade, to bet against that bubble. Uh, all bubbles ultimately pop. It's just a question of when and what's the pin. Uh, and I, you know, I said personally, I added considerably to my own gold holdings. I would encourage people to do the same. I would encourage people to take advantage of those who are selling their gold mining stocks to invest in crypto uh, ETFs, uh, buy these stocks while they're on, sa on sale, take advantage of other people's mistakes. Uh, you can buy my fund, the Europe Pacific Gold Fund. You can buy it at any of your discount brokers. You can call up the brokers at Europe Pacific uh, Asset Management, europac.com. Uh, we can help set up an account for you. All of my funds, uh, the value dividend pairs funds, we have some gold mining stocks in those portfolios. That's helped pull those portfolios down uh, as everybody is, is concentrating on a handful of overpriced momentum stocks. That's left a void 
the real value, the real dividend paying stocks, the stocks that we're buying uh, are still cheap and you still have an opportunity to get in, especially before the bottom drops out of the dollar where you can use those overpriced dollars to buy undervalued uh, foreign stocks. And of course, physical precious metals, both gold and silver, uh, shift gold. Um, again, I think we don't have much downside here. You know, I, if you're waiting for cheaper prices, I think this is the cheap price. I don't think there's much downside. We went below 2000 for a day or two in the last two or three months. I mean, that's it, right? And it didn't stay there very long. Yes, we haven't got above 2100. We haven't blown to the upside, but there's a lot of uh, compression here. The, the buyers are bidding up. The sellers, I think, are going to disappear. And I think there's going to be tremendous momentum. And I just would buy before. I don't want to chase the market higher. Uh, I mean, once it starts going higher, sure, people are going to buy, but it's better to buy now. It's better to buy before the crowd uh, than get stampeded uh, with it. Anyway, that's it for now. Hope everybody enjoys uh, their weekend, and I'll be back again next week with more podcasts. Bye for now.